This morning we're reading from Genesis 3:20 to 24. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who lived. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing good and evil. What if they reach out and take from the tree of life and eat? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending him out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. And also from Romans 3.21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus, who freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. You may be seated. Pray, Father, thank you so much for the fact that you have created us in your image and in your likeness. You've given us um, great honor, as the psalmist says over and over, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and splendor. And so, Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can have such great value in this universe. Now, Lord, that when we look at the stars and the moon and all that you have made, we're so, so small. And yet you love us and you care for us and you pursue us. Lord, as we uh, gather around the table this morning, uh, we come with joyful hearts because you have clothed us in your righteousness. Therefore, we can stand before you without fear, without shame, without guilt. And so, Lord, help us to embrace the truth that you have made us righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Lord, we pray that as we consider that this morning, we would 
come to you and we would receive this gift. This isn't a blanket gift just given to all of humanity and everybody's okay now, but only through faith in Jesus Christ, only by surrendering to him as Lord and Savior. Is any of this true of us? So Lord, lead us and guide us, teach us by your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 3 and Romans chapter 3, they're good kind of bookends on this whole discussion that we've had the last couple weeks on sin. In the series so far on forming a biblical human identity, we looked at the fact that we're created in God's image, reflecting his character. We've been given this vocation of steward in creation as God's image bearers to guard it, to keep it, to care for it as a royal priesthood. And these realities provide us with a very deep sense of value. We matter to God and to creation. However, this identity and this vocation is marred, distorted, and broken by the fact that we are sinful. We have, by our actions and attitudes and in our very nature, defied and rebelled against God and his purposes for us. And just as Adam and Eve questioned God's instructions, his rightness, his goodness, we continue the pattern. In fact, we, we celebrate our independence from God and his holiness, seeking our own way, championing our own priorities over those of God, creation, and community. We turn inward. We seek independence and power apart from God. We would rather die than submit to God or his purposes. This is where humanity has lived ever since Genesis chapter 3, and it's where humanity lives today, though not without hope. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 5, Paul declares, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, we, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Circle, underline, put it in bold, do whatever you have to do to make this stand out. But God is the turning point in everything. But God, being rich in mercy and because of his great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is the truth that changes everything. God has acted and redemption is available. God's grace provides a gift to be received. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 21, we read that God provided garments for Adam and Eve of animal skins. After pronouncing the curse on the serpent, and the, the promise of evil's ultimate demise through one who would come through the seed of a woman, after pronouncing the distortion of human relationships and vocation and the curse on the ground, God provides clothing for humanity. Why? 
Why does he do this? Well, Adam and Eve had already fashioned coverings for themselves, didn't they? But God provides skins of animals to cover their nakedness and their shame. And here is the first lesson. When we try to cover for ourselves, we will always fail. When we try to cover our own sin, we will always fail. We will never cover our own sins. Though Adam and Eve clothed themselves, they were not free. They were bound by shame and guilt. They made leaves for themselves and they ran and hid from God. They couldn't be in God's presence even though they were already attempting to cover up their shame. When we try to fix things without, without confession and repentance, we don't fix anything. You know, it's, it's one of these what if, you know, kind of scenarios. We didn't do it, so we don't know what would have happened. What if when God said, where are you and why are you hiding and who told you you were naked? Adam said, Lord, I disobeyed your command and I took the fruit and I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? It's a big what if, right? Because <laughs> it didn't happen. Instead, there was blame and shame and hiding and fighting and trying to deflect his shame. When we try to fix things without confession and repentance, we don't fix anything. It may serve to hide reality for a little while, but the problem is still there and the shame and guilt remain. Their leaf coverings also didn't really cost them anything. We often think of the first death in the Bible as Abel, but the first death in the Bible was some animals to cover the nakedness and shame of Adam and Eve. And it was God's hand that offered the very first sacrifice for sin. And this projects down the road to Romans chapter 3 where God himself again provides the perfect sacrifice for sin. And in Christ, we can be free of our guilt and our shame and our sin forever. God provides, he covers humanity but it doesn't renew their innocence. It doesn't restore them back to the garden. In fact, once clothed, Adam and Eve are exiled. And this starts a pattern we find repeated throughout the Old Testament narrative. Humanity continually moving from a place of covenant relationship and blessing to a place of exile from the presence of God over and over and over again. God provides clothing and he draws people to covenant. But we routinely choose our own way. God provides clothing and a covering, but he also exiles Adam and Eve. They can no longer en enter the garden of his presence. And he stations the cherubim at the garden entrance, which is later mirrored in the artistic curtains that would guard the holy of holies in the tabernacle and the temple. Because God's holy presence is now Got to be distant and protected. It's too much. It will destroy people until Good Friday when that curtain got torn top to bottom. And the way to holiness was once again open because of Jesus Christ. Matt Chandler in the explicit gospel says, God's glory is eternal. Therefore, sin is an eternal offense. This is why we believe in an eternal life, an eternal hell, 
and a remaking not just of some things, but of all things. The good news is that God's plan for redemption is scaled by his glory, encompassing all creation. What is corrupt will be declared very good again. I love that. The good news is that God's plan of redemption is scaled by his glory. It is so huge. I was thinking of this in Genesis 3, the end of Genesis 3, the expulsion from the garden. This could have been the end of the story. God's like, I have exiled you from the garden of my presence. You go out and work the land. It's going to be hard. It's going to be rough. uh, But you'll still be able to eat the fruit of the ground. You'll still be able to multiply and increase. But I am just going to get hands off right now. I'm done. The story could have ended right here. And God would be holy and righteous and just in ending the story at Genesis, the end of Genesis 3. But God doesn't stop at the end of Genesis 3. He continues to engage humanity personally. Cain, what's going on in your heart? Don't you know sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it? And he keeps calling to Cain, to Abram, to Moses, to David, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, and the list goes on. God does not abandon humanity to our sin, in our sin. He provides for us and he pursues us. God's grace provides a gift to be received. He doesn't give up. We come to Romans chapter 3. Hebrews 2.17 or 1 John 2.2, 1 John 4.10. And we come across this strange word, propitiation. A lot of our translations drop that now because nobody knows what it means anymore. (laughs) It's a great theological word. In, in, in uh, Greek paganism, in, in their worship, uh, propitiation was, was something you did in, in order to ensure that the wrath of the deity did not fall upon you. So it was, it was, it was arrived at through, through sacrifices so that nothing bad would happen, so that the gods would favor you. And the New Testament uses this word four times with that very same meaning. Romans 3, 22 to 25. For there is no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God provides a gift to be received. And it is this removal of, not only of our sin, but of God's wrath towards us. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he had to be made, he was talking about Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect in his humanity, so that he might become a merciful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That, that this would be something Jesus accomplishes. And the, the last one we heard, God put him forward as a propitiation. Here in Hebrews, it's Jesus Christ making himself this offering, this gift for the sins of the people. 
1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 10, God sent his son because he loved us to be the propitiation for our sins. It's about our sins. This is the one thing that we have to get, that Jesus died to set us free from our sins and the wrath of God. These are the only four uses of this term in the New Testament, but it's a powerful teaching. If we go back to Romans 3, to 25, there's so much in there, just in that little phrase. There's no distinction. Jew and Gentile, whether you've been going to church your whole life and have the Bible memorized, or whether you're a pagan on the street worshiping false gods, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, not in our obedience, not in our good behavior, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We know this. But sometimes I hear the, 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 the striving to be better, the striving to be good, the striving to be blessed by God, the, the, the I am putting out my record of good works in order to be whatever, feel better about myself. But God provides for our sins through the life and death and resurrection of Christ. There is no other way to stand in his favor. Because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, God can now look on us with favor instead of wrath. Jesus' righteousness is what God sees when he looks at us when we have surrendered our lives to Jesus in repentance. God's grace provides a gift to be received. Listen in these next verses, 2 Corinthians 5.12. For our sake he made him God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. It's something he's done that makes something possible. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's done. So that we might, possible, a possibility become the righteousness of God. It's a provision, it's a gift waiting to be received. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, done, completed action, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin because he's already done it, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Eagerly waiting for him. Not just living our lives, hoping that someday we'll go to heaven, but eagerly waiting for the person of Christ to be present with us. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins on the tree, past, done, completed action, that we might die to sin. There's a possibility of this and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, completed action, ongoing results, that we might die to sin. And so there is a gift to be received and embraced so that we can live into the truth that God has for us, that we might die to sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew this was his mission. 
Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is the truth we proclaim every time we come to the Lord's table. Jesus Christ bore my sin and shame on the cross. He paid the debt I did not owe, and now I am free. His death has accomplished redemption. I'm no longer under the sentence of death and eternal separation from God because of my sin. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. I don't have this all in front of me, but as I was reading this week and studying, um, read the, uh, there's a passage, a little section in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology on the topic of sin and the atonement. And there's this one passage in there that I, I think is good for us to hear, and it's the warning that religious observance doesn't mean salvation. That just attending church your whole life and knowing all the right answers doesn't mean that you're known by God. There are probably a lot of unconverted people in the church of North America because it's been so easy for us to follow Jesus and go to church. And we grew up in a culture and we know the language and we know the we, we know the game to play. We can check the boxes. We've done the right things. We haven't done the bad things. And yet over and over, Scripture is telling us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And most of us got that memorized since we were three years old. But we don't believe it about ourselves. We often believe it for the world out there. <laughs> They're so bad. They're so evil. It's so disgusting out there. But Paul was writing to a church. Actually, every single letter that Paul wrote is to a church. He actually never addresses anything that was going on in Roman society at the time. He always addresses issues that were going on in the church. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. So what do we do with this? God's grace provided a gift to be received. Isaiah 61.10. This is one you should memorize because this is the emotional thing that should happen when you when you come to Christ, when you know that you're forgiven, when you know that it is his righteousness and not yours, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of righteousness. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. To, to exult, E-X-U-L-T, not A, exalt, but exult is to feel and show triumphant elation and jubilation. Years ago, went to, uh, um, I think it was in Red Deer, Alberta, I saw Neil Anderson. Uh, he, was, he was speaking at a, a convention there. And uh, I think he's probably said this in all his books too. Um, it's, it's a great one. He says, 
You know, we read a passage like that, and yet we go to our church and we see this. It's so great to be a Christian. I'm just so filled with joy. He's like, tell your, if that's in your, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> Way down deep in my heart. Move it up six inches and get it on your face. Stop pretending that there's joy. If there's no joy, then maybe you got to go back and say, am I clothed in the garments of salvation? Am, have I put on the robe of righteousness that God has freely given me? Or am I just pretending to be a Christian because it's comfortable? Some people have asked, why do you keep going back to just the basics of the gospel? Because I think I need it and the church needs it. We've got to get back to some simplicity that it's about Jesus Christ and all about him. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and the bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is about the, you know, you remember your wedding? Like most of us do, right? Like I remember the moment my wife walked out from behind the thing and down the aisle and you basically kind of lose it, Right? It's an amazing event. It's emotional. And that's what this is saying. When we, have, when we have put on those garments of salvation that God has freely given us, oh, the, the joy that should well up in our hearts and our souls because he has clothed us and covered us with his righteousness. God provides a gift to be received. As God clothed Adam and Eve in the garments of animal skin, he provided a robe of righteousness bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross in my place for my sin has turned away the wrath of God from me, and I can stand boldly in his holy presence without shame. No greater freedom to be found in life than to be freed from the guilt and the shame and the disgrace of always, wonder, of, of always regretting the mistakes I've made in life and, and being able to just say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for your love and your blessing in my life. And I don't have to be controlled by those things. I can, I can regret some things in my life and, and, and I, can feel, I can feel sorry for the things. But when I've come to Christ and I really repent and I really turn my life over to him, it's not that the consequences of those things go away. It's not that uh, some of the internal struggle goes away about those things but there's this new freedom and joy that cannot be found anywhere else. There is no greater freedom to be found in this life than to be free from the guilt and the shame and the disgrace of our sinfulness. And God provides this as a gift to be received through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what this table is all about. The radical love and grace of God. And he offers it to you as a gift. We go back to Romans 3. Notice the agency by which we are justified through faith, verse 22, by his grace, verse 24, and by his blood, verse 25. This is redemption, justification, and redemption that God has provided for us and how he has done it. 
He has made all of these realities available to us and has done this through the death of Jesus Christ for my sin and for yours. And he has given us his righteousness. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says this simply but powerfully, Christ did more than die for our sins. He also became our righteousness before God. He also became our righteousness before God so that we can stand in his presence without fear, without shame, without guilt and confidence and fully embracing the love he has for us and not being shy about it. Stanley Granson, Theology for the Community of God, said to counteract the human, our human depravity, our hopeless inability to remedy our situation or to please God, Christ came as our substitute, accomplishing for us what we were powerless to do on our own. This is the great gift that God has provided for us in Christ. We can stand in his righteousness without shame or fear. We can enjoy again the relationship for which we were created. So how do we respond to that? We come to the Lord's table this morning and first we receive this as good news. Receive this as good news. You cannot save yourself. You cannot impress God. You cannot, period. If you could, you would always live with fear and anxiety because you would never know if you'd done enough, worked enough, given enough, served enough, or you would live with, uh, with a perpetual performance anxiety, or you would become hopelessly proud and arrogant and belligerent because you feel you've done more than others for God. Either way, you're depending on your own record and your abilities, your sacrifice to earn God's favor, but you can not. It must be received as good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Full stop. Second, rejoice in this good news. In Christ, God has done everything and he provided you with the robe of righteousness as a gift. You just need to receive it and put it on. Receive this gift, nothing more. Your heart should simply rejoice. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. I will exalt in God my Savior. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and covered me with the robe of righteousness. Receive this good news, rejoice in this good news, and then repent continually in this good news. You would think I would put that first. But it also comes continually through our lives. It's not a one-time thing. The depth of freedom we can have because Jesus Christ has freely given us salvation through his sacrifice on the cross should motivate us to deep and lasting repentance. Repentance that springs from godly sorrow that leads to freedom and joy. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And that's, that's the biggest difference here. Worldly grief produces death. If, if, if there's things that are wrong in my life, if there's things I'm struggling with and I keep beating myself up for it over and over and over again, it, it's just me saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, but for this sin, I gotta pay. You didn't quite do enough. I have to keep beating myself up. Worldly grief produces death. Because the wages of sin is death. And if I keep trying to pay it, 
then I am dead. Godly grief produces repentance, a complete shifting of my allegiance from myself to Jesus as Lord. When Jesus called for repentance in the Gospels, it was always repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. The rule and the reign of God is at hand. It wasn't just turning away from sin. It was turning towards Jesus as King and Lord of our lives and Lord of the earth. And that's the repentance that leads to salvation with no regrets. I love this statement by Stanley Grenz, his theology for the community of God. We cannot understand the full meaning of the cross. We can only stand in silence before it, acknowledging its wonder and submitting to its power. I'm just going to end the quote there. There's, you know, we need to reflect on it. We need to understand its significance. But first we can just stand in the presence of, of the cross in silence and wonder, submitting to its power. Bold hymn, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. We come to the Lord's table this morning. He has prepared a garment of righteousness for you to wear. Will you put it on? Will you confess your need of his grace? Will you surrender your pride? But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. That means put your trust in, cling to, rely on. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God has provided clothing for you, for me. It is bought not with the blood of animal skins as Adam and Eve, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
God's grace provides a gift to be received. Receive God's gift. Rejoice in God's gift. Repent because of God's gift. Lay down your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we have considered what it means to be made in your image, we know that that image is marred and distorted and broken because of the sin of our attitudes, our actions, and our very nature. And we need the cleansing power of the cross of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, we need to just hear the reality of the gospel and the urgency with which you even lived it. That apart from a relationship with you and faith in Jesus Christ, we're lost, we're broken, and we're bound for an eternity apart from you. We need to be on that mission. You have said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Share the message of Jesus. Lord, I know we're failing in that. Because the baptismal tank is empty more than it's full. We become internally focused. And we've lost sight of the mission that you have for us. I've lost sight of it. Lord, help us to get out of our boxes, out of our building, out of our safe spaces, out of our comfortable little communities of just Christian people that we hang out with all the time. Lord, show us the people around us in our lives that you put in our lives every day, at work and at school that are needing to hear the gospel. You've given us one mission, not a bunch. And it's not to be comfortable. It's not to protect ourselves. It's not to wall ourselves away from the world and pretend everybody will just get on as best they can and we don't need to worry about it. You've called us by your cross. 
by your resurrection, by the presence of your Spirit in us, to be witnesses of what you've done in our lives. So, Father, may we come to the place of rejoicing greatly in God our Savior and exulting triumphantly, being overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy and the righteousness that you've clothed us with and the relationship we can have with you because of it. Lord, may we just long to be with you. And Lord, may we live with such a hope that people would have to ask us, what is it about you? And then, Lord, may we be prepared to give an answer for the people that ask about the hope that we have, that we're just rejoicing greatly because we've got this robe of righteousness that covers all the stuff we've done in our lives and we can live guilt-free and full of joy regardless of the circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that reminder from our kids this morning. And so, Lord, now as we come to the table, I pray that everyone who takes the bread and the cup this morning do so with joy, knowing that you have provided this great and wonderful gift that we can't earn, we can never pay for, that must be received as a gift, that must be put on, as a garment. And that and that we would just celebrate your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.